Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loy. I'm here with Katie Goulis. First of all, I'd like to say hello and thank you to those of you who've been writing to us and expressing your great pleasure with our program, Light of the East, and how much it helps and inspires you. We really appreciate that. We appreciate hearing from everyone, especially want to thank Sonia Cavazos from Orinda, California. Sonia's written to us before and our good friend here at Light of the East. So, Sonia, a blessed new year to you and thank you for your letters and and also especially, above all, for listening to us here at Light of the East. I also want to send a little greeting out to an old friend of mine from the seminary, old acquaintance, Father Tony DeFranzo, who is a Byzantine Catholic priest in Connecticut. I understand Father Tony encourages his parishioners to listen to our program, Light of the East. So thank you, my good friend, Father Tony DeFranzo of Connecticut. Also, we here at Light of the East bring to you not only the spirituality, the liturgy, the theology of the Eastern churches, but also their lived experience. And I've said many times on this program, the Eastern Catholic churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches find themselves at the very epicenter of some of the most crucial global issues of our day. And you really can't separate out the spirituality and the theology of the Eastern churches from their culture, from the situations they're in, and from their history. At least not exactly, not totally. And so they find themselves today right at the center of some of the biggest global issues, such as the terrible persecution of Christians that has been going on now, especially in recent years. We have talked to you about the persecution of the Christians in Iraq, but recently, unfortunately, on New Year's Day, we have yet another example of a massacre of Christians, and this one happened in Egypt, and Katie's going to bring us that news release about that particular event. That's right, Father Tom. This is from the Associated Press, and they report that Christians clashed with Egyptian police in the northern city of Alexandria on January 1st, 
furious over an apparent suicide bombing against worshippers leaving a New Year's Mass at a church that killed at least 21 people. It was the worst violence against the country's Christian minority in a decade. Nearly 1,000 Christians were attending the Midnight Mass at the Saints' Church in the Mediterranean port of Alexandria. The service had just ended and some worshippers were leaving the building when the bomb went off about a half an hour after midnight. Al-Qaeda in Iraq has made a series of threats against Christians. The latest just before Christmas led the Iraqi Christian community to cancel most of their holiday festivities. After militants attacked a church in Baghdad in October and killed 68 people, it threatened more attacks and linked the violence to two Egyptian Christian women who reportedly converted to Islam in order to get divorces, which are prohibited by the Coptic Church. Egypt's top Muslim leaders also expressed their condolences and solidarity with the Christians, and the biggest fundamentalist opposition group, the Muslim Brotherhood, condemned the bombing. Dozens of Christians and Muslims held solidarity marches near the site and in Cairo, and some chanted slogans against Mubarak. Christians, mainly Orthodox Coptics, are believed to make up about 10% of Egypt's mainly Muslim population of nearly 80 million people, and they have grown increasingly vocal in complaints about discrimination. In November, hundreds of Christians rioted in the capital, Cairo, smashing cars and windows after police violently stopped the construction of a church. The rare outbreak of Christian unrest in the capital left one person dead. Thank you, Katie. Most of these victims, as you heard from the report, were from what we call the Coptic Orthodox Church. Now, the word Coptic, it's a Greek and Arab word, which actually means Egyptian. See, this part of Egypt was actually very Christian at one time, especially the city known as Alexandria. That was a great batch of Christianity. produced lots of saints like St. Cyril of Alexandria. Now, when we talk about the Coptic Orthodox churches, and there's also a Coptic Catholic church as well, we're talking about a church that belongs to what is known as oftentimes as the Oriental Orthodox churches. The Oriental Orthodox churches. This is comprised of six churches. The Armenian Apostolic, the Coptic Orthodox, the Ethiopian Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, Malankara, and the Eritrean Orthodox churches. Now, what distinguishes these Orthodox churches is that way back in the 5th century, there was a heresy that was promoted by a man named Eutyches that became known as the eventually the Monophysite heresy. In other words, he was teaching that Christ really had only one nature, not two natures, God and man. And a council was called in Chalcedon in 451 A.D., and in 451 A.D., the church established and ratified the true teaching that Jesus Christ was one person, but two natures. Not one nature, two natures, one person. He was fully God and fully man. In the nature of being human and the nature of being divine, but yet in one person. Well, this teaching was essentially rejected by some of these churches. One of those is the Coptic church, the Copts of Egypt. And this happened again in the 5th century. And after that time, they become known as, oftentimes, by the name of the Oriental Orthodox churches or the Monophysite churches, meaning one nature. However, over time, on the positive, a lot of this difference has been healed a bit because they realize that it's not so much a matter of their belief as it is how they word that belief. See, the Oriental Orthodox churches, like the Coptic Orthodox Church, are not in communion with the other Orthodox churches, such as the Greek Orthodox and the Russian Orthodox churches. And that's over, largely, this issue of the rejection of the Council of Chalcedon. But as I mentioned, fortunately, in recent times, 
they realize that maybe the two are not so far apart, that they don't actually believe in something different. It's just how they word this particular theological point. And what this means is, is that Jesus Christ is God and man, yet one person, and he is God and he is man, and also has implications for our belief in the mother of God, which is another thing that was ratified at this Council of Chalcedon. And that is that if Jesus Christ is God and man, then the person that the mother of God gave birth to was in fact God, which is why we call her Theotokos, which is a Greek word which means God-carrier, God-bearer. That the person who was in her womb, even though he was a man in the flesh, at the same time he was at the same time, he was God. And so she is called the Theotokos. So as you can see, especially in the Eastern churches in these early centuries when they hashed out all these theological doctrines and dogmas, you see that one thing influences the other. Something you say about Christ is reflective of what you say about the mother of God and vice versa. So oftentimes in these councils, they would have to discuss the belief about both, both the mother of God and Christ, the implications for both. If you say this about Christ, that has implications about the mother of God and vice versa. So the Oriental Orthodox churches are those which did not accept this Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. And among those churches are the Coptic Orthodox churches, which were the unfortunate victims of this latest anti-Christian massacre. Now, the Coptic Orthodox Church has a marvelous history. It goes all the way back to the beginning. In fact, it is claimed by tradition that St. Mark the Apostle himself evangelized this part of Egypt as early as 63 AD. And the interesting thing about the Coptic Orthodox, among many things, is that they have in their tradition a very proud tradition, which has been rejuvenated today in an, in an amazing way. They have a proud tradition of monasticism. In fact, the liturgy that they use in the Coptic Orthodox Church has a lot of monastic tone to it. One of the liturgies they use is called the Liturgy of St. James. If you've ever experienced that, I'd highly recommend that you do. You'll be treated to some of the most beautiful prayers on earth in the Liturgy of St. James. In the Eucharistic prayer, the prayers are very, very lengthy, but very, very flowery, very, very beautiful, very deep and profound in their theology. See, there's several liturgies in the Eastern churches. There's a Liturgy of St. Basil, the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. There's also a liturgy called the Liturgy of St. James, and it's often used in the Coptic Orthodox churches. Speaking of monasticism, it's rather providential that we're focusing on the Church of Egypt today because this week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have a whole string of monks that are put before us each day of the week, beginning with the father of monasticism himself, St. Anthony. Now, when I say St. Anthony, I don't mean St. Anthony that most of us are familiar with in the Western world, St. Anthony of Padua. He came much later. This is the original St. Anthony of the desert. You see, Egypt is where monasticism began, at least Christian monasticism. But monasticism actually has its roots in the Old Testament and people like Elijah and St. John and the Essene community that lived around the Dead Sea. We've recently discovered that community with the Dead Sea Scrolls back in the 1940s. But in the New Testament, monasticism began in Egypt with the early Christians like St. Anthony. And when we return, we're going to look at some of these great Egyptian ascetical saints of the desert. Please stay with us. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. 
You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Pope John Paul II once said, Humanity, its dignity, and its balance, at every moment and on every place on earth, will depend upon who he is for her and who she is for him. I am Father Thomas Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why are we a man? Why are we a woman? Unless we know the why, we do not know the how to be man or a woman, and therefore we do not know how to really be for each other. The why behind being a man or woman is told in the theology of our gendered bodies. Our bodies speak a language. Gender reveals God. Through gender, we can actually participate in the way that God loves us. We can love as God loves. Human sexuality is an icon of the very interior life of the Holy Trinity. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Line of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loy, and we're here with Katie Gullis, and we're venturing into the deserts of Egypt in Eastern monasticism. And our first monk, in fact, the father of monasticism, is St. Anthony the Great. Again, not St. Anthony of Padua. He came later. St. Anthony the Great. And Katie's going to read from a really neat book I recommend to many of you. It's called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. The reason why this is a really neat book to have is any book on monasticism gives you a great glimpse into the soul of the Eastern churches, both Orthodox and Catholic, the Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholic churches, because monasticism is very much at the very soul of the Eastern churches. And what happened was a lot of the events of the lives of these desert saints and a lot of their sayings, their clever and witty sayings, little snippets and tidbits of their lives were collected together in various books. And one of those is called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. So Katie's going to read from that about St. Anthony of the Desert. Anthony the Great, called the father of monks, was born in central Egypt about 251 AD, the son of peasant farmers who were Christian. In 269, he heard the gospel read in church and applied to himself the words, Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and come. He devoted himself to a life of asceticism under the guidance of a recluse near his village. In 285, he went alone into the desert to live in complete solitude. 
His reputation attracted followers who settled near him, and in 305 he came out of his hermitage in order to act as their spiritual father. Five years later, he again retired into solitude. He visited Alexandria at least twice, once during the persecution of Christians, and again to support the Bishop Athanasius against heresy. He died at the age of 105. His life was written about by St. Athanasius and was very influential in spreading the ideals of monasticism throughout the Christian world. And here are a couple of his sayings. One thing that's kind of neat, when you get a book like this, and there's another series of books called the Philokalia. Those are classics called the Philokalia. If you want to get a real glimpse of the monasticism, have a lot of fun reading about its history, but also its wisdom, I highly suggest you get the books. It's, a, it's actually about a three or four volume set called the Philokalia. But this book also is very good. It's called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. What's kind of fun about this it's almost like reading the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. You can read it front to cover, or you can just kind of pick through it, kind of like do a little Bible bingo, as it were. Just kind of pop it open, pick out a few little tidbits, because each one of them has their own kind of pithiness to us, as it were. They're kind of clever, they're funny, they're interesting, they're, sometimes they make you scratch your head a little bit. But it's a fun book to read, and as is all of the sources of the Desert Fathers, highly recommend it to any of you who really want to get into the soul of Eastern spirituality. So, Katie, what are some of the pithy little stories and remarks from St. Anthony? Well, Abba Anthony said, This is the great work of a man, always to take the blame for his own sins before God and to expect temptation to his last breath. And he also said, A time is coming when men will go mad, and when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him, saying, You are mad, you are not like us. <laughs> yeah, these things go on and they're just lots of fun. Some are funny, as I mentioned. Some of them make you kind of wonder, but they're always instructional. Now, these people of the desert, they went off into the desert and lived these incredible lives. When you really read the stories of these Eastern monks, especially those of the, the Coptic church, the Egyptian church that we're focusing on today. And by the way, there is an, also an Eastern Catholic Coptic church as well which was established much later when we had Western missionaries come in like the 16th and 17th century to the area of Egypt, and some of them united with Rome. This was, of course, long after the Great Schism in 1054 AD. So there is Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Coptic Christians today. But getting back to our monks in the monasteries of Egypt, they would go off, and many of them, as you heard from St. Anthony, came from well-to-do families. What was happening was they were seeking what became known as white martyrdom white martyrdom. See, they were so committed to their baptismal vow to die and live for Christ that they actually began to miss the radical witness of blood martyrdom. Monasticism grew up largely after the biggest persecution stopped in the early centuries of Christianity, and Christian witness began to become, well, less dramatic, as it were, for a lot of these very, very deeply committed Christians. So they still wanted, in a sense, to witness, to die for their faith. They almost missed the fact that they had a missed opportunity. Gee, I wasn't able to shed blood for my faith. That's how much I love Christ, how much I want to witness to him. So they came up with another way to do it. It's what we call white martyrdom. So they would go off to the deserts and live very, very austere lives. In fact, some of them are, were known to have all kinds of incredible abilities and are capable of many things like sleeping one hour a night every day and standing in prayer like all night long. They had incredible powers because of their holiness. Some of them would radiate and glow light, like the light from Tabor. But they grew in holiness because of their deep asceticism and also of their deep, deep humility. 
They lived radical, radical Christian lives, and that's precisely why they went into the desert. Now, Anthony, like many of the great ascetics that went to the desert, usually would get people that were very enamored, admired their example. So they would have followers. Even though these monks wanted to be hermits, they just wanted to get away from all, get away from, in a sense, civilization that they thought was becoming too decadent, too soft, not radical enough. But because of their witness, by nature, people were attracted to them. They wanted to share in that life. And one of those was another famous monk who we celebrate this week in the Byzantine calendar. His name is Monk Macarius. Macarius the Great, or the Egyptian, was born in 300 AD and was a former camel driver. He was one of the pioneers of Cetus. He was ordained a priest and lived as an anchorite in a village until he was falsely blamed for the pregnancy of a girl there. When he was cleared, he went to Cetus. Like many of the early monks, he traveled about and was not fixed in any one place, as these stories show. Cassian said of him, He was the first who found a way to inhabit the desert of Cetus. He was much influenced by Anthony the Great and visited him at least twice. He died in 390 AD. There's another story I have from him, Katie. It said when he was asked why he was so thin, see, because he was fasting so much, both when he ate when he fasted, he replied, From fear of God. And in fact, he was known to be so humble that there's a story that a demon once said to him, there's only one thing in which I cannot excel you in. That is not in fasting, for I never eat, though in vigil, for I never sleep. Then what is it, said Macarius to the demon? Your humility, replied the demon. <laughs> Father Tom, a couple of other things that Abba Macarius said were, if you reprove someone... You yourself get carried away by anger, and you are satisfying your own passion. Do not lose yourself, therefore, in order to save another. And he also said, do not sleep in the cell of a brother who has a bad reputation. <laughs> I don't know why, I just thought that was a little funny. <laughs> yeah, as he said, they have a lot of fun with these things. They're very instructional, a lot of fun. You notice we used the phrase, he was, he was described as a former camel driver. That's a phrase, I guess, that's a word we can't use too much today, right? It's not politically correct or something. But, but in the history of the Desert Fathers, we can say that that's who they were. <laughs> he, was, he drove a camel. That was his job. Now, these saints, these Desert Fathers, and eventually mothers, first they were fathers, though, but there were also women that came out as well. They lived as hermits, but eventually they came together in communal life, which is called a Cenobitic life. So there's two kinds of monasticism. One is called Eremitical, which means the desert, alone in the desert, as a hermit. And the other one is Cenobitic, or Cenobite. In other words, a cell, that you would live in cells kind of grouped around a central monastery, central church. And you would live basically alone, or, in, or as a hermit in a sense, but yet at the same time in community. So they would come together for meals and come together for the major prayer services. And this form of monasticism was developed a little bit later by St. Basil the Great, who was a great saint in the Byzantine church. In fact, we have a liturgy named after him, which we celebrate on the high feast days of the liturgical calendar. But it was Basil who basically designed kind of a rule of life, as it were, for these different monks these, what we call the Cenobites or Cenobites, who would come together, live in community, at the same time have their own particular cells. But then, originally though, it was St. Anthony and Macarius and monks like that who went off first and foremost to be, just to be hermits in the desert. Now, these men and women grew in holiness, and in fact, they grew in humility, they grew in quietness, but they also were people who were very forthright and very strong in their passion for the faith and for the true faith. 
fact, in the Synaxarian, which talks about the saints, it says this, The saints of the church were so compassionate towards human weakness and so fiercely unyielding and unsubmissive with regard to the confession of the truths of the faith. St. Nicholas of Myra, for instance, struck Arius with his hand at the first ecumenical council. St. Anthony left his desert and went to Alexandria publicly to denounce Arius the heretic. St. Euthemius, under great pressure from the Empress Eudocia and the false patriarch Theodosius, and being unable further to fight with arguments, left his monastery and hid in the desert, an example followed by monks thereafter. And there's a whole lot of other stories about the strength of monks, where they would actually leave their monasteries, their hallowed monasteries, to come and defend the faith, to speak in behalf of injustice. Well, this is just some of the great riches of the Eastern churches, and it grew out of this church that we feature today that unfortunately has experienced persecution. Our prayers are with them, but also hopefully we have enlightened you about their rich and deep traditions, the tradition of the Coptic church, the monks and Christians of Egypt. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Gullis on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, CatholicRadioInternational.com.